going through Romans chapter 15. Um, Romans chapters 1 through 11 deal with the place that we were at when we were enemies of God, when we were under sin. And in Romans 1 through 11, it says that God gave his son by his grace to restore us to him, to bring peace, to allow the spirit to come in and dwell in us and live the lives he's called us to. Then in Romans chapter 12, there's a little pivot verse. Therefore, because God did all of that, when we didn't deserve it, when we didn't even want it, therefore, by the mercies of God, present yourselves. And then starting in chapter 12, it's live like this. And in particular, have these relationships. Relate to one another as believers this way. Relate to non-believers this way. Relate to the authority structures this way. Not because people always deserve it, not because you always want to do it, but because of the mercies of God. And that's what we continue today. In fact, it's almost a part two to last week. We're still in Romans 14, and what we started last week, we're going to kind of finish off this week. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Would you use it in our lives? Will you open up our minds, our hearts, our lives, and speak to us? And by your spirit, teach us, correct us, inspire us, and ultimately change us to be more like your son. In his name we ask it. Amen. In Illinois, at a diner, there were three servers, young ladies, um, and they were having a discussion among themselves. They were talking about some of the debt that they had. Some of what was going on, school loans, some medical things, debt in their lives that they were struggling with. How do we pay this? How do we get through this? And a patron of the diner um, walked up to them and gave each one of them a $5,000 check and said, please use this to help you in your situation. And then left. On a receipt for one of the ladies, because some of them, they weren't all even this lady's server, um, was written, God bless, tips for Jesus. The lady actually said to them, God has told me to give this to you. Tips for Jesus. It is actually a movement across America and Mexico. Um, there are people that are giving gigantic tips. Um, in this case, you know, $15,000 spread among three ladies. Um, and just writing, many of them, you know, God bless, and, and having this little thing, tips for Jesus on it. That is exactly the opposite of what my wife and I experienced 20 years ago when we were servers. <laughs> In two ways. One, I never got a $5,000 tip. But two, the worst patrons were Sunday night Christians. They were awful. They would come in, you know, 8.30 or so, 9 o'clock after the Bible studies and those Wednesday or Sunday night services got over, 
Uh, and they would come in, and there would be like 10 of them, 20 of them. They'd take up a big table, and, and they would just be asking for things all the time. They were a pain in the rear end. And then you get to the end of the night, and they would leave a tract and like maybe stick a dollar in it. Sometimes not even that, and it's almost better not to have that and to stick a dollar in it. And it got to the point where like we would watch them come in. We knew it was them. They were all dressed the same. They all looked the same. They're coming in, and you're like, there they are. And we're the only two Christians at this establishment. And when people, other servers, are like, oh, it's those Christians again. We'll take it. We'll take one for the Jesus team because they're getting a bad rap because of you. You know, Christians, sometimes they present a, a good front. Sometimes they show Jesus well. Sometimes the kingdom of God is represented well. And sometimes it's really, really not. Sometimes we are showing the world and each other that we just don't get what Christ has done for us. Um, we are not living in such a way that we are reflecting his love. We're reflecting that relationship that he gave his life to create for us with God. Well, today, this is about what we do for one another. Do we, as believers, in relationship to each other, are we more like the tips for Jesus where you do very little, you have a $90 check and I give you a $10,000 tip? Are we more like that with each other? Are we more like those Christians that came into this establishment and thought, oh, I'll just give them a tract because they need Jesus? Not that they're ever going to read my tract because I never gave them a tip, but here it is. What are we like when it comes to each other? Because Paul is saying all throughout Romans 14, and what we looked at last week, is we need to welcome one another as we are. When we have somebody over here who is, and I'm just, for the, for the moment, let me just use denominations. We've got this Baptist over here and this non-denominational and this charismatic and this Lutheran and this Catholic. We are not supposed to be fighting among each other. We're not supposed to be going, well, you don't do it the way I do it. I'm going to convince you that you're wrong and you need to do it my way. Right? When it comes to the practice of following Christ, not ethical commands, I don't hear that. Not ethical commands, but the practice of following the Lord. It is not our job to argue with one another about who's right, who's wrong. You do it my way, you do it my way. We're supposed to just accept each other willingly. In fact, what Paul wants to go is he's going to take it further today. Right? He's going to tell us the sacrifice we are supposed to make. It's not just an acceptance but it's a giving. There's a sacrifice involved. If you would, open your Bibles to Romans 14. Romans chapter 14. There's a lot of text. We're going to read a lot of text. Um, it's starting in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some under the chairs. And this morning, I'm going to give you three never statements according to this chapter. Things we are never to do. Here's the first. Never do anything to hurt another believer's relationship with God. 
Verse 13. Therefore, right, that whole thing we covered last week, verses 1 through 12. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Interesting that Paul includes himself in that. Let us not do this. And it's not a don't do it. It's a not any longer. Right? You may be one of those people. I know I have been where I have judged fellow believers for their actions, for the ways they are trying to follow Christ. I've thought, I know better what's going on. I know your motivations. Paul is saying, let us not do it any longer. So if you are there, don't feel awful and guilty and spiral out of congestion. Paul's recognizing it. Let us no longer do that. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Uh, interesting in Greek, that not pass judgment, but rather decide. Those are the same words in Greek. There's a play on words here. It is Paul saying, don't judge, but judge. Right? Don't judge in a negative way where you're deciding what's best for somebody and you're trying to argue with them and bring them over to your viewpoint. Instead, resolve that you will never put a stumbling block in front of somebody else. You will never, this word here where it says, hindrance. It's a trap, um, which we wouldn't think of it that way. But remember last week we talked about you welcome a brother, but not to argue, not to quarrel. It's not a, hey, oh yeah, come on in. Okay, now that I've got you, I'm going to tell you what's right. And that we're not supposed to set traps for each other. We're not supposed to put stumbling blocks. We're not supposed to put anything in the way of a fellow believer that would harm their faith. I know, verse 14, and am persuaded. Paul says, I have information and I believe it. In the Lord Jesus, nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Now, to me, that sounds a little relativistic. Um, that doesn't seem very objective. Um, it, it's, is, is the chair clean or not? You mean it depends on what somebody thinks? That seems very not Christian, the way that we talk about Christian things sometimes. But that's exactly what Paul is saying right here. That a thing in and of itself is not unclean. This chair, it's just not unclean. Whether an atheist is sat in it, whether a devil worshiper is sat in it, the chair is not unclean in and of itself. However, it is unclean to a person that believes it's unclean. Now, let me give you an example that I just read that we all buy into this in different areas in life. There is a woman a week ago who got out of her car, not very long. While she was out of her car, she left it unlocked. Somebody went in and stole her purse. In that purse was her grandmother's ring. Now, here's the terrible part of the story. She was at a graveyard visiting her grandmother's tomb when this guy broke into her car and stole the bag and the ring. And here's what she said. They had it on the news. She said, I don't care if you keep all that stuff. Please just return that ring. It wasn't the ring's value in terms of its money, but that ring was more important than any other ring. It had a value to her that none of the others did. That's the idea behind what Paul's saying here. Right? There are things that are so valuable or so vital 
to a person's relationship to Christ. There are certain sins or certain ways of living that may be so hard for a person that you view it a little differently than you might for this other person over here. Right? We have used the example in here of drinking. For some, drinking is something that is unclean. You should never, if it is clean for you, try to convince them it's not. That is their relationship to Christ. That is what Christ is doing in them. It's not my job to try and convince them that, oh, no, you should be able to drink if you want to. There are practices, there are ways of relating to Christ that are personal, that are valuable and meaningful to a person, just like that ring was. Right? And so Paul says, for some, if a thing is unclean, it is, even though in and of itself it's not. Keep going with me. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By its very nature, love is other-centered, not self-centered. Right? And if you, who believe that a certain practice is right, you think eating candy is okay in the Lord, but somebody over here, they think eating candy before the Lord is a sin. And you go, yeah, I don't really care. I'm going to eat my candy anyway, because it's okay. God doesn't care if I eat candy. Basically, what you're saying is, I don't care about you. I don't care about your relationship. I don't care if that hurts you. I don't care that this is really meaningful for you, and when I eat it, it may ruin your faith. That's not walking in love. And then he gets even worse, kind of takes it to another level. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Christ was willing to give his life for that person. Are you willing to not shove your practice in their face? I mean, Paul will go so far later and say, just don't eat meat at all. Don't drink wine at all. Don't eat candy at all. Whatever it is. When that person is there, are you willing to make that small sacrifice when Christ was willing to die for them? Never do something that would harm another's relationship to Christ. Where Paul goes with this. Number two, starting in verse 16. Never let your faith be spoken of as evil. Verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's his point. That candy, when I eat it and this other person begins to just get ruined in their faith, then this candy, which before the Lord is fine, all of a sudden becomes something that is evil because it's ruining somebody else. All of a sudden, my freedom in Christ, whether it is dancing or playing cards or drinking or whatever it may be, my freedom in Christ suddenly becomes something bad because it is hurting somebody else. It is no longer representing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, my relationship to him, it's about peace, my relationship to each other. It is about the joy in God that we get when we live together as the body. What am I doing? With my freedom, I'm destroying somebody else. Now my freedom has become something bad. Now, I don't want to make light of what I'm about to say at all, so please don't hear it in that way. But we are seeing this thing right now being played out in our country and we've been seeing it for the last few years. We've been seeing it 
with our police departments. Right? Think with me for a minute. The police have the freedom to carry guns, to use force when necessary, to protect us. That is what they are meant to do. But there have been a number of instances over the last few years. Some of them, the police may have been in the right. Some of them, they were in the wrong. One recently happened two weeks ago where a guy was shot and killed. He was pulled over because he didn't have a license on the front of his car. He was pulled over for a routine traffic stop. On the body cam of the police officer, it takes only a moment where the officer tells him to get out of the car and the guy starts to do something. The car starts to move a little bit and the cop shoots him in the head. The first interviews, he says, I was being dragged by the car. I was hooked onto it. I had to do it for my, for, to save myself. Well, the family, through their lawyer, got released publicly this body cam. He was not being dragged. He was not hooked to that car. It was hardly, I mean, it just barely even rolled, and he shot this guy in the head. Do you know what's happening right now? The police are being thought of as evil. The good, that's what they are. They are good. They are meant to stop evil. But what's happening in our country, as even a few are misusing that, they are being considered by many to be bad. They are not getting the benefit of the doubt any longer. People are starting to go, well, I don't, let's see what really happened because there's no way. That's what Paul is talking about. Don't use your good in such a way that it hurts somebody else. Don't use your freedom in such a way that others begin to look at it and go, well, that's a bad person. Why would they do that? Or, or that person, I, don't use your freedom where it hurts others because suddenly your relationship to God, your freedom begins to be thought of as something bad, something evil. And it doesn't represent the kingdom. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Whoever doesn't do those things, whoever doesn't ruin another's relationship, whoever doesn't let their good, their freedom, their relationship with Christ be thought of as evil, they are, approved, they are excuse me, acceptable to God and approved by men. So then... Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, for the building up of the body of Christ. Let that be our focus. Not my own personal how I have to do things and how you need to do them like me. Not, I don't understand that practice you have over there, so it's probably wrong and I'm going to try and convince you of it. Instead, let's seek what builds us up as the body of Christ, in all of our various practices and denominations and backgrounds and everything else, what builds up the body of Christ? Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is, not, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And then he says something that, I don't know, um, kind of in my faith, I came to Christ in high school. Um, and, and I was in one of those high school ministries and then college ministries. It was very out there. Share your faith. Go door to door. Do the four spiritual laws. I mean, all of those things. It was very much an outward show. Let's make sure people know you follow Jesus and that they should follow Jesus. And then you get a verse like this. Verse 22. The faith that you have... Keep between yourself and God. 
That seems like a strange verse. Um, a verse that I would, I would say, and I don't mean this at all in a negative way, um, this is something I would expect to hear from a Catholic whose faith is usually more here in God, not a get in your face and, you know, but Protestants, we, we get in your face. We're going to share Jesus with you. But the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Here's my never for you. Never make your private faith public. Let me explain it, right, what I think Paul's doing here. Because Paul clearly does not mean never share the gospel. I mean, just look at his ministry. Paul clearly never means don't ever talk about Jesus. Don't ever share faith with somebody. It's not what he means. Keep reading with me. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. All right, so two sides. He's back to where he started at the beginning. You have the weaker brother and the stronger brother. And remember, weaker is not a negative like you're not a Christian. Weaker describes there are certain practices you think are vital that in and of themselves really are not, but they are for you because you practice them. And the stronger don't have those same things. And you probably swap sides at times. As he ends it, he has a message for both. And then I'm going to come back to this kind of private public faith. That first statement is to the strong. And it's a reiteration of what he just said. Never let, let me just read it in his words and explain as we go along. Um, Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. If I approve of a certain thing in the faith, but I approve it publicly, I approve it in your face, and I hurt you with it, there is judgment on me because I'm now hurting somebody else by making that thing, this public kind of thing, this I am right and you are wrong, whatever it is. Judgment is now being passed. Blessed is the one who doesn't do that. That's the private part. That's the between you and God. Now here's the other side, next verse. Um, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. So this side over here, if there is something you're not sure about, I don't know if I should sit in that chair. I mean, a a devil worshiper sat in that chair. I'm not sure if I should sit there because it could mean something to God or it could hurt my faith. Then don't. If you have doubts in your conscience about something, you shouldn't do it. Because here's the maxim. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If I come over here and I'm not sure, then I can't in all good conscience, in all faith, before the Lord sit in that chair, so I shouldn't. Just the way it is. Um, Whatever the practice may be, if it doesn't come out of faith, if you have doubts, then you shouldn't do it. You should stick with your conscience and what you can do in faith before the Lord. Here is the example of what I want to give you to explain the difference of this idea of private faith versus also sharing Christ. Think about your marriage. My wife and I, we will introduce each other all the time as husband and wife. There's nothing hidden in that. We'll hold hands. We'll hug Um, sometimes I will tell a story about something that happened. Uh, We'll talk to friends. Um, There's a very public nature to our marriage. 
It probably is to all of yours, too, if you're married. But there's also a very private part of your marriage. There are things that you shouldn't be sharing. There are stories that I've probably shared and shouldn't have shared. (laughs) I find out after the service. (laughs) But there are parts to your marriage that are private. There are things that they're wrong to share. They may make your spouse look bad. They may end up hurting somebody else. They may make somebody cringe because they did not need to hear that. Hey, there are things that you shouldn't be sharing because your wedding, your, your marriage, it has both public and private aspects to it. Our faith is the same way. Right? There is a public aspect to our faith. We are called to share Christ with people, but in an appropriate way. Not in a way that hurts people, not in a way that offends people, unless you are just loving them and they are offended by Christ. I mean, think of it this way. If somebody is ever offended by you, you've gone the wrong direction. They're offended by Christ, you're in good company. But I would argue too often it's the first one. They're offended by us, not by Christ. But we are called to share that. We are called to serve Christ in a public kind of way. And yet, you need to hear this. We all need to hear this. You have a personal relationship with God. And that relationship, I don't mean personal in the sense of, you know, he's my personal Lord and Savior kind of thing. I mean, you have a personal relationship, you and God. And it's supposed to stay that way. It's not supposed to be something where you're out there going, oh, let me tell you everything there is about me and my faith and make you like me. It's between you and God. It's intimate. It's personal. It's beautiful. Let it stay that way. That's what Paul says in this passage. Never let your private faith be public. Let your public faith be public. But don't let the private one be public because you're not called to that. As we think of how to relate, especially to each other, although most of these things will also translate into non-believers, people in your neighborhood, um, never do anything that will harm another person's faith. That's number one. Never let your faith be spoken of as evil because of your own actions. And number three, never let your private faith be public. Let that personal relationship with Christ be personal as it's intended to be. There is an irony in the Tips for Jesus movement. Um, it's still anonymous, although everybody is pretty convinced about who started it. And, and there is a, it, actually, the first time it happened, if, if this is correct, and it seems to be, first time it happened, It was an $87 check, and they gave a $3,000 tip for it. And this is what the person who seems to be behind this and this group um, said. Um, Said, I want to emphasize the concept of direct giving to ordinary people. Not to stars, not to famous, not to, but to ordinary everyday people. Direct giving to them. But then this right here, it's just about helping people out, not about Jesus. The tips for Jesus movement started by a guy who's not a Christian. And I thought, sometimes the world gets Jesus better than we do. Sometimes in their actions, 
they are actually doing the things we are called to do when we are just being jerks and mean and holier than thou and all of those things that we do, not just to them, but even to each other at times. And here's somebody who is like representing Jesus better than the Christians who were coming into our restaurant were representing Jesus. And he doesn't even believe in Jesus. I kind of want to be more like him than I want to be like those people coming into our restaurant. We have an opportunity to be kingdom people with each other and with people who don't know Jesus by following what God has called us to and recognizing the truth about our relationship to him first, where we sit in the kingdom, that this isn't about us, it's about him. And living that out, that's what we are called to. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, you truly are gracious. You give when we don't deserve. You love when we're unlovable. You keep coming after us when we turn away from you. You are amazing in your grace and your mercy and your love. Lord, just help us to mirror it. Help us to see what you've done for us that we might treat one another the same. That as you have welcomed us, we would welcome each other. That you have sought us when we didn't know you, we would seek others who don't know you. That we would never try to force our way of doing it on other people. But instead, we would love them in the kingdom of God and your kingdom would be our priority. Because that's what you deserve. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen.